You're listening to a new episode of Empathy Always Wins. My name is Ali Salama, and it is an honor to be able to present to you a show that intersects mental health and leadership. Today, we have a very special guest. But before I sort of talk a little bit about this guest, I'd like to sort of give a heads up on how this show is going to be running uh, in the next few couple of months because things are kind of like getting busier and we need to take care of our schedules. So at the moment, I do have COVID. Um, this is a, I don't think there's a stigma about COVID. Every pretty much, we know everyone, anyone that has or had COVID or was affected by it. It's an unfortunate event, but we have to get through it. Um, hence the delays in schedule and the, in the, in the, in the podcast. But for February, what we will be doing as of February, 2021, the show will be running twice a week, Tuesdays and Thursdays at 4 p.m. Cairo time, 6 p.m. Dubai time, which is 9 a.m. Eastern time. So we'll release new episodes then. And on that note, thank you for sort of bearing with me for these logistical sorts of details. Okay, so today we have Jenna Amin. Jenna is an Egyptian-American activist in high school. She has a passion for girls' education and women in Islam. As an avid speaker, Jenna gave a TEDx youth talk on changing the narrative around Muslim women and competes nationally on her school speech team. Yeah, she's a really good speaker. Uh, when we recorded the episode, I definitely could tell that. She works closely with the Collateral Repair Project, an NGO based in Jordan, to support refugee women and girls. Recently, she hosted a virtual event, 17 for 17, advocating for girls' education. Her research focuses on the media representation of Muslim women. She curated an exhibit at the American University of Cairo, the AUC, titled Princess Fauzea and the Duality of Egyptian Women. She is currently interning at the Harvard Kennedy School. Jenna is a member of the Youth Activism Project and is one of the founders and podcasters on Untextbook. Jenna enjoys competing on her school's squash varsity team as well as playing the harp. That is an all-rounded student, and I can't believe Jenna is 17. Holy moly. All right, let's get into the episode with Jenna. I mean, guys, if you like this episode, please give it a rating. Uh, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And don't forget to leave me a DM with how with what you think, if, the, if you like the show, if you don't. Also, follow at Empathy Always Wins, which is the official Instagram page of this show. A really quick shout-out and a final shout-out to my best friend, Ash, who... Plays the song. It's called Daydream. He is the most streamed independent Arab electronic artist in the world who also loves Kosa Bil Bashamel. So, this is for your Kosa and Bashamel Ash. Please go stream his music. He's a really great guy. I love him. Jana, let's hop into today's episode and let's go. Jana, thank you so much for uh, coming on Empathy Always Wins. Um, yeah, and he, there's so many ways we can start this off. And uh, I, personally, I, I I'm so proud of everything you've done and and your drive and, and your your motivation and, and your inspiration and the direction you want to take um, activism. But before I sort of dive into where Jana Amin is going and what her journey is about, many people don't really understand what 
an activist really means or what do they do? Um, so can you walk us through how, first of all, you found out that you want to pursue activism uh, and then now what does your day-to-day -day look like? Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm super excited for this conversation. Um, you know, I think it's interesting you bring up what is an activist and how do you even decide to become an activist? Because Anna myself, I didn't know I wanted to be an activist and I didn't understand what an activist did for a very long time. And so I think it all really started when I moved from Egypt to the US um, when I was around like 13, 12 years old. And at the time, you know, I had grown up in Egypt surrounded by a lot of women. Um, and I'm sure most of our Masriin can relate to the fact that <laughs> all those women are the ones who are like really scary. They're like the leaders of the house. Like you have to follow what they say. Um, so I was very surprised when I moved to the US and learned that most of my friends and teachers, Uber drivers, they all thought women from the Middle East, Muslim women, Arab women, were you know these victims of oppression they couldn't speak for themselves they were almost submissive servants if they weren't terrorists so that was kind of like the three options that i think a lot of the people i met in the u.s thought muslim women or egyptian women were like mm. and so for me it really started by telling people of my own story so the story of the muslim women i knew my own story um, as an egyptian woman and then Eventually, I feel like that grew into the realization that telling my own story is not enough. The whole mess that I had gotten myself into was because the media was telling just one story. And so I realized I needed to tell the stories of, you know, so many other Muslim American women, but also Arab American women. And so I think that's when slowly the shift in my mind happened to becoming, you know, an activist. And I think at the time, I also didn't realize that, but an activist is really someone who uses their voice for change. Um, but it's not just using your voice. You have to match, you know, that speaking up with action. And I Absolutely. think that's something people can totally forget with social media, where it seems like, oh, you can just post about it and that's it. You're like doing the work. Uh, but doing the work really means working with the communities most affected by the issues you're talking about. Um, doing kind of tangible grassroots level organizing and mobilization. And so for me, that's looked like working with a number of NGOs across the Middle East, um, like Heya Must, She's Egypt, um, and the Collateral Repair Project in Jordan. But it's also looked like reaching out to young Muslim American women um, and, you know, giving them the opportunity to share their own stories, giving them the platform to do so. Um, and, you know, really embarking on this mentorship journey where you actually are creating tangible change by creating these connections, because in turn, these young women are going to become the female leaders of tomorrow. And I think that's so important. Um, but yeah, I definitely think there's this misconception that activism is just talking all day. Um, my mom definitely still believes that it is <laughs> and that anyone can call themselves an activist, but I think Prove it's, really wrong. Right? I know. <laughs> it's really important that you match the speaking up with action because otherwise, you know, you're not creating tangible change for the communities you care about. And that should be your mission first and foremost. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, Begad, that was a very, very, very well, well, well comprehensive um, sort of structured answer. And I feel like 
you know, if I can add something to it, it's, it's the challenge of being an activist and making an income uh, in, in, mm-hmm. in, 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 sustain, in sustaining a living. And I think that, you know, in my journey, maybe, you know, as a mental health activist in your sort of perspective, I feel like, yeah, I, you know, you started the grassroots magazine and, you know, you collaborated with many people around mental health or if in your situation it was hypothetically speaking uh, women's education women's empowerment and gender equality but sometimes you know many of our listeners are like well how do you continue that you know how do you how do you keep making an impact because we all know like you know you can't if you can't support yourself you can't support anybody else and that was a realization that was like oh my goodness and, you know i spoke at the world health and then i thought you know i was something because you know you get featured you get your voice out there and you 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 really become sort of let's call it like a credible or whatever or verified or whatever you want to call it and then you're like this means nothing you need to come up with a sustainable sort of model and, and i was just looking at you know like the the the, the virtual event you hosted a uh, 17 for 17 uh, advocating for for girls education and perhaps like what's your vision for for 17 for 17 or like what what is the next step because i know that this is something that you're giving your heart and soul into and you're interning at the harvard at uh, kennedy school and you're actively pursuing it like you're not stopping and that's something that makes me smile like I know when someone's BSing their way into something to look like something. And I know when someone is like taking it for real, like we're in nearly the same age bracket and we're not, not quite that, you know, many in, in that sphere of, of, of change agents, I call them or, or change makers. So like, where's your mind at? Uh, What are you seeing? I know you're still quite young, uh, but where, where are you seeing yourself uh, sort of venture into that, uh, sustainable uh, way of making this happen. Yeah, I mean, first of all, I'm definitely not stopping. So <laughs> thank you for <laughs> bringing that up. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, I really think that first of all, like from a mental health perspective, this work is not sustainable if you don't love it and if you don't really care about the communities that you say you're representing or that you say you're helping or impacting, um, because. I think, you know, as you mentioned, it is lonely. There's really like a, like there's not that many of us, especially not young people, young people from the Middle East. Um, I'm sure they're out there, but the connections and the network hasn't necessarily been made yet. And so it can feel isolating. Um, And I know for me it did. And so I think if I didn't really like care and if I didn't really love what I was doing, I don't think that I would continue to today. And I don't think I would be able to say, I'm not stopping because I think at some point there's, you know, that aspect of burnout. Yeah. I think that's the first thing. Um, I think in terms of like making it sustainable in terms of an income, I think I'm kind of lucky in the sense that slowly around me, I am seeing older people. So I think of um, a number of activists here in the U.S. Um, So there's like Jameer Burley, who's a racial justice advocate. Um, even UN advocate Alat Murabit, who's Libyan-Canadian. Um, I feel like these people are all kind of paving the way for what activism and advocacy can look like in a sustainable manner where they are making an income and their lives really revolve around this work. And so I think for me going forward, um, that really means, you know, I think working with a lot of 
already established institutions and organizations, whether that's United Nations, whether that is the Harvard Kennedy School, um, you mentioned the World Health Organization, UNICEF, I spoke to a couple of days ago. I think all of these organizations have the resources and means necessary to support you as an activist. And so thinking about how I can work alongside them to not only make what I do possible and feasible on a personal level, but also make sure that the communities that I care about are being represented and the resources they need are being directed there. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, so I really feel like going forward, it's thinking about how to leverage some of the connections that I've made um, for good to both help support myself. Um, and again, those communities that are most vulnerable uh, and, and need the resources the most. Yeah. No, and, and something that I really like about sort of building on from what you're saying is, uh, you know, reaching out, of course, is very important. And those huge organizations are looking for people. It's very important that we also acknowledge that. And many people don't really know that, that they are looking for youth. They're looking for youth that are uh, not just driven, that have a track record, no matter how small, but consistent track record. And I really like how you mentioned that, uh, because that does that doesn't, like number of followers, number of whatever, doesn't matter. It, it matters on, it's kind of like a resume, you know, your resume, you don't show your social stats. It's sort of, okay, what was I doing from this period to this period? How have I continued and built on from some time and not left a gap? I think if you start to think of, of, of building your, I can say your, your track record in that way, uh, that's the only way I, I, I see it making sense to find uh, that opportunity within those big organizations. I say this, Jenna, with you because you're very young, you're 17. And I say this because a lot of people look at you and, and look at me and are like, well, they're so far away from us. They like, we can't do that. We can't be that. But it's it's not it's not. I know you like even on your website. Your website looks super clean. Uh, you know, it's created by Wix. It's 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 super fresh. It looks so professional. All these things are just ABCs of personal branding that is literally at the palm of every anyone with an internet connections. And heck, a podcast like this costs like what ten dollars to host a month and you know that could if you really want to make a change what i'm trying to say here is i do know that you know nothing not everything's accessible for everybody but the way i'm seeing you go on about your journey is 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 inspiring in the sense that it, it allows for you know activism there is innovation in activism that's what i'm trying to say just as there is innovation in any other realm or industry or company and i think with social media we don't really think about it that way so i really like your approach here and maybe my next my next area that i want to sort of dive in deep with you is i know your mom is a very influential person how has that impacted your life how has that impacted the way you see women and how how is she your coach? Is she someone who just stands there, watches from the sideline? Does she? Do you have laughs and jokes about uh, your 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 journey, your future? What is your relationship with your mom like? Yeah, so alhamdulillah, it's always been really, really positive. I think um, she definitely is one of my like greatest role models. So for kind of those who don't know, she's the CEO and co-founder of her own tech company. Um, and of course, the tech space is already very like male dominated. Um, but to have, you know, a woman from the Middle East kind of be the head of one of those tech companies, um, I think for her has been like quite a journey. But I think for me watching her, um, it's also been a, 
incredibly kind of inspirational as cliche as that might sound, but <laughs> no, I think it's just been, I think she really follows her passion and she truly, I think one of her like favorite sayings is if there's a will, there's a way. And I think oh, she really yeah, has, I like that. Yep. <laughs> she, she's really instilled that belief in me um, and my younger brother in that we, we see obstacles only as challenges. Um, and I think we're really kind of, and I think actually on a personal level, that's made me believe that my activist work can make a difference because if I will it enough, then it will happen. Yeah. Um, which I think is not the same for a lot of people. It certainly was not the same for her. So she's still like, you know, insists that she's like apolitical as much as possible. Um, as much as I try to convince her that that's, you know, that's impossible. That's not the case. <laughs> and so I think, yeah, so we definitely kind of, you know, have our disagreements. Um, but I think for the most part, she's really been a mentor to me. And I think um, she's been incredibly helpful in helping me figure out what's my passion and how best to pursue it. And what's, you know, again, like you were saying, some of those personal branding basics, it's so nice to have literally your personal coach by you uh, 24 seven. So. Yeah, no. And your mom's uh, company Effectiva is one of those, um, AI, I think innovations that we definitely need uh, in terms of, and like a little bit, I mean, I'm a, I'm a, I really like the company and what they do. And I think that um, using AI to figure out people's emotions and, and, and Netflix can use it to see where the climax of the show is and to see if that scene was good or not. It's, it, I, I, I don't know. I find that this is emotional intelligence and I feel that um, it's very, very, very important as leaders to be able to uh, have a, a tangible grasp on emotional intelligence, on a metric that we typically always, you know, don't really pay attention on. And that is, you know, proven study after study that it's a very important uh, metric for effective leaders, hence effective that was a pun of words there. But anyways, um, I want to ask more about you as a person, because I feel like, you know, we've touched on you as, a, as an individual, your story, but what about Jenna? What about your mental health? What about, how do you create space for yourself? How do you not let all the, sometimes the, the, the difficult stories and everything that you hear and i know you probably like when someone chooses a path and when you choose something i personally know it from the dms and from so many other there's definitely how do you separate that like you're very young i don't know if i could have done this at your age and not to say that age is is a limiting factor it's not and time has proven the opposite because you're doing it how does how do you balance that and and how have you been able to learn these coping skills. Um, I know that's why I touched on your mom beforehand as a coach and, but like, can you talk us a little bit more about that? Yeah, definitely. I think a lot of it has been, or a lot of the learning has come from creating boundaries and figuring out where my boundaries lie. Um, the truth is that you can't serve other people if you're not serving yourself. And I think you know, even especially, I would say, in Arab culture, um, women in particular are taught that, you know, you always have to, before you can kind of um, 
serve your own needs and figure out what your own needs are. But I think that's a really unhealthy mindset uh, at a certain point because you just, you can't, you can't serve other people and ignore your needs forever. You just can't do that. That's not sustainable. And I think for me, that realization has come from really immersing myself in all my work and doing, you know, like a million different things a day. And then after a couple of weeks go by, realizing that I'm so exhausted, um, I all I want to do is kind of like curl up in a ball. And I then like cannot attend my next meetings. I'm not being a productive member of the conversations that I'm in. And thus, I'm like letting a lot of the communities that I care about down in that sense. And so, yeah, I think the realization has really been that I have to create my own boundaries. I have to realize, okay, if I'm tired, then I need to get away. Recently, I've been going on a lot of walks. Um, <laughs> I recommend those, or even the other one for me has been baking. And so just really, like, I think doing something for yourself that makes you happy um, and takes your mind off of some of the really serious, weighty stories that are out there and are so necessary and valid, but you just cannot deal with them 24 seven um, because that will really take a toll, I think, not only on your mental health, um, but also literally on like your productivity, your ability to help others. And if that's your priority, then helping you should be a priority too. Yeah. I think you're challenging is a lot of cultural, you know, what identity means for, for many, you know, gender stereotypes, I, I could say in the you know middle eastern or eastern let's just put it that way not just middle eastern you know eastern far eastern uh, asia as well they follow some very similar types of of traits you mentioned there but let me just ask you one question because i remember the the last arab harvard conference that was the theme and the theme was reimagining or redefining identity how do you feel as a muslim arab woman, I won't say girl, Muslim Arab woman living in the West. How do you manage to fight that sort of, if there is a fight or if there is a identity sort of war or or conflict, if I may, how do you manage, like, how do you know this is what I'm willing to let go of. And this is not what I'm willing to hold on to. Like, where do you know when to stop and when to start and when to change onto the next track, if that makes sense? No, that totally makes sense. And I'm sure that kind of resonates with a lot of other, you know, kids who grew up between cultures, third culture kids, um, (laughs) whatever they want to call us, right? But I think... Yeah, for me, for a while, I was like really lost or I felt lost because- That's everybody, Jana. That's everybody. Exactly, exactly, exactly. And so by realizing um, that it was everybody, so like I met a number of kind of like other Egyptian Americans um, here in the <laughs> area, and I was like, wait a second, you guys are kind of confused too. And so that moment was really exciting because suddenly your experience um, is not is not isolated. And I think for me, I've kind of come to realize that you can't separate where my Egyptianness ends and where my Americanness begins. They are now fused together in me. And I think, you know, there are parts of both 
both and like opportunities from both that I've learned to take advantage of and really, I think, use used to help me and used to help the communities again that I care about. But I think it's been like figuring out what I'm comfortable with, um, which pieces of myself that I choose kind of to lead with. Mm. Um, and I know that's definitely for me, like my identity as an Egyptian, as a Muslim, especially in the US shapes almost every conversation I have <laughs> and almost every perspective I bring to the yeah. table because that's just been really, I think central to my experience. And so that's totally okay. Then I will like lead with that. Um, at the same time though, like I think, you know, it's important to acknowledge like living in the US, I think seeing so many change makers around me has allowed me to become the change maker I am. Um, and I don't know if that would have necessarily happened in Egypt or not. And so it's just realizing that your different parts of your identity give you different things. And it's totally okay to embrace all of those um, and be, just be you, I think, and and everyone is confused. <laughs> and even the people who like have lived in one place for their whole lives are confused about their identity. Identity is ever changing and fluid. And so um, really just embracing your identity and honestly going with the flow with whatever it feels <laughs> like um, yeah. is, is super important. Yeah, I was hanging out with Alia Moro. I'm not sure if you've read her book, The Greater Freedom. Yep. Uh, she was in Dubai two days ago and uh, I managed to, uh, you know, have a lovely time sort of conversations like these, honestly. I mean, halfway through, I was like, hey, this should have been a podcast. <laughs> and then she was like, oops. Uh, but yeah, like, it's so fascinating. It really is. And I feel like to anyone who hasn't um, sort of read the book, this is a great book by Alia. I feel like it really addresses that, um, that struggle. Uh, and you're right, you know, even if you're a bestseller or whatever, no one has it together. And I feel that part of not having it together and sharing it and being vulnerable and literally taking that, being empathetic with yourself and compassionate. I mean, it's the only way to really be, win. And as you said before the conversation, Jana, Ali, I want this to be as honest as possible. Like really, this is, this is the way to go. And maybe the last sort of uh, direction I want to take with you here is, are you into sports? I am. So I myself, like a lot of Egyptians, I'm a squash player. <laughs> um, I can't say I'm anything at the level of any of the squash players who are Egyptian, but yeah. <laughs> how do you, how do you, I mean, sports menta is a big thing that we're doing in, in, in a couple of days. And it's the first sort of sports and mental health conference uh, online virtual in the middle east and actually four of the players so we have nurong gohar ali farag and moshur bogi and they're all they're the they're the top in, in the world and i feel like that's why i wanted to bring that question you're into squash how do you find squash to be or how do you find sports in general i don't want to limit it to squash but do you find sports intersect with mental your mental health let's make it a personal angle here yeah, 100%. I think for me, um, definitely squash in particular, though, is <laughs> such a mental sport <laughs> yeah. because you're literally like, like literally stuck in a box with one other person and you're just very, very focused on that. And it's almost weird. Sometimes there's like people watching you and you kind of feel like a freak show. And so I think kind of all that, you know, all those aspects of the mental game in squash too are incredibly important. Like you can have two players who are, 
you know, equally matched in terms of skill. And if you saw them practicing alone, you'd be like, oh my gosh, this is going to be like a five gamer. It's going to go to the very end. It's going to be super close. And yet it ends up being not close at all because the mental game just plays such a huge portion in that. And it's who can kind of um, really, I think, create stability in their mind and uh, grid, but also calm. Calm is so important when you're on court. And so for me, <laughs> it's been, yeah, it's it's definitely been a journey. I think when I first started playing squash, um, I was very, very nice on court. So I was really scared to kind of like <laughs> give it my all. Yeah. Like, I don't want to bump into you. Like, no, yeah. like you can have that ball. Like, you know, yeah. um, but I think edge, that edge, exactly, that exactly. Edge. And I felt so bad, like thinking <laughs> in my head, like, oh, I'm going to be better than them. But that's what you have to do in sports. You have to convince yourself that you're better, that you are going to win so that you can win. Yeah, um, yeah. And that's not that's not necessarily a bad thing. That doesn't mean you're not like a kind person. And so for me, the mental game has been like, you know, really training myself um, to in those moments of pressure um, have stability and have calm and focus on court. Um, and have kind of the grid or I guess passion to mm. want to win mm. so that I don't feel bad about the ball that I'm like, you know, taking away from, from my opponent. But how, how, how similar is it to life? Like, I feel like, you know, when you, when you tell yourself this and you convince yourself you're better, you're not better than anyone. You're better than yourself. You know, I, f I feel like this competitive edge and, you know, I come from a sports background as well in swimming. Actually, Farida Osman, I have a I have an interview with her for Sports Manta very soon, and it's 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 the growth. It's it's how you walk out of that, whether pool, arenas, court, field, and you feel so damn different, and you feel empowered. And I feel like sports is viewed as an entertainment as a platform where people would pay money and go to stadiums, get entertained, but there's the biggest missing factor of sports. And I feel like I always, I almost feel that from you because an athlete knows an athlete or it knows when someone's part of being persistent. And I feel that sports teaches that very well uh, as a leadership and as a, as a characteristic, as a main major key development, uh, developing characteristics, uh, when, when teaching leadership, at least, I find that, you know, it is a medium that has been sort of proven to be um, very, very, very instrumental in developing mental toughness. And that falls under resilience and, and grit and all that. So, Jana, I, I, I really just want to say that, you know, this conversation with you is super insightful, very inspiring. But, and you know, I, I will add one thing about the sports because that you made me think of, but I think like for me over the past year, one of the things I've really struggled with is working so hard to reach a goal, reaching the goal, and then being like, now what? That was like really anticlimactic. And I think <laughs> sports has kind of taught yeah. me that yeah. you like barely remember which matches you win, which matches you lose, which games you win, which games you lose. You don't remember any of that. But I think it's when you go home, when you leave the stadium, when you whatever, leave whatever you are, um, and you think to yourself, am I proud of that performance? Did I grow during that game? Um, and what have I learned about myself? And I think 
squash for me has taught me that again, like it is about persistence. It is about making it through those tough moments, believing in yourself, but ultimately being proud of the accomplishment and the accomplishment isn't the winner or lose. The accomplishment is the effort that you left on the court. Uh, people say like, leave your heart um, on the court. And I think, you know, if you've done that, then you will feel proud. And I think that's a lesson that I've been taking into my life more generally where I'm, you know, trying to put less on those accomplishments or on those milestones. Um, and instead tell myself, you know, it's really about the journey. And so what have you learned on the journey? How have you grown as a person on the journey? Um, and, and kind of what is the impact and, and how are you going to move forward? And what is kind of the growth that's going to come from this milestone or accomplishment or whatever it is? Um, because at the end of the day, those moments are anticlimactic. And I think that can be hard to like come to terms with, but I think sports is really, has, for me, has been an avenue to make my way through that and, and, and kind of, you know, understand again, that the journey is way more important than whatever outcome, um, comes out of it. Yeah. I, I can't remember who I was talking to and what you're saying hits the nerve because sometimes for athletes, well, not everyone can be on that Olympic number one champion, uh, podium, but everyone can walk out a winner. And that hit me so hard because when I was told that, I was like, holy crap, wow. Everyone's a winner in their own lens, but the way you interpret winning is so different because you know, winning at life or winning, and that's from an athlete perspective, that's from a sports perspective. Winning is, is, is super, means, is super different for everybody, means, means something to everybody. And I feel like, if, if anything, walking out of the world of sports, but still being an athlete, sports has taught me personally that to win your own game is the most important game. And I always say every day is a big day. And every day is your like showing up 100% every day looks different from one day to the next. But the effort of being your 100%, even if you can't get out of bed, that's your 100%, that is okay. But that is winning your own game. And I feel like it, for leaders out there that feel that they have to be perfect and they have to, you know, they've set the bar so high. I think it's it's a day-by-day thing. And I, I love your your comment about the process because uh, that's that's how you stay consistent for 40, 50 plus years and not lose it after, after hitting uh, two Olympics or whatever, because burnout is real and I think you've mentioned that once and a big part of empathy always wins is, 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 is really just about making sure that that human side, that, that human centric sort of side of leadership is brought out because at the end of the day, we can't thrive as a community, as a, as, as change agents, especially in this world where things like fl are flying all over, you know, with everything, every week, something crazy happening. It takes a toll on our, on our mental health. I just got a message from someone who recovered from Corona. Ali, can you like ment people who recover from COVID mentally, like that affects them in a manner and no one's talking about it. Is there, are people ashamed of COVID or are people not like what's going on? That's just one example of something that has, you know, changed the, the or, or directed a conversation towards a different direction, but it needs to be tackled. So I think what you're saying, Jana, from, from every single aspect of being uh, an activist is very important. And I sort of want to leave the 
floor out open to you if you have any final comments because I really, really did enjoy our conversation. This was awesome. Thank you again for having me. Um, yeah, I mean, I really just hope, I think that most people can really walk away from this conversation um, feeling like it's okay to be wherever you're at, um, whether you are an activist, an athlete, or kind of none of those or anything in between. Um, I think it's really just, you know, so important to, to set your own boundaries, to be proud of all that you've done, just making it through 2020 um, is a huge achievement. And then now, you know, even making it through what, the first 10 days of 2021, <laughs> another huge achievement too, right? And yeah. so, yeah, I think it's really the little things that get us through. Um, and I And I hope that this conversation is just one of those. Thank you, Jenna. I appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you, Ali. This was Jenna Amin, guys. How crazy is it? Um, we met after the MIT uh, Arab Conference. Uh, her mom uh, was a keynote speaker there. And little did I know that her mom's sister uh, works very closely with um, Dr. Rania Al-Mashat. And what people don't know is that before I got into this mental health journey, I did something called Visit Egypt. And Visit Egypt was sort of Egypt's first sort of influencer marketing um, agency or, uh, yeah, we used to bring people that were world-renowned filmmakers, literally make them brand Egypt in a beautiful manner. And of course, there's an account called At Experience Egypt, which is the government's sort of account. And um, it's so funny because uh, I was in a car with my co-founder, Ahmed Wahba, and he was like, Ali, you know, her auntie is gonna be listening to this podcast. You better behave yourself. You better blah, blah, blah. And I was like, dude, I'm just having a normal conversation. Chill, yo, chill. Anyways, uh, if Rola, you're listening to <laughs> this podcast, I hope you have a lovely day. God bless you. I love your work in Egypt. Uh, I love Dr. Ronia's work as well. Uh, word spreads, that's the thing. We live in a very, very tight world where everyone knows everyone or everyone's just one person away from everyone anyways guys this has been an incredible show um incredible episode sorry incredible show i don't need to get to say this about my show <laughs> you guys get to say this so if you like it rate it um i know i'm like <laughs> supposed to have covid so why this guy is full of energy and mom um yeah please feel free to uh, leave a rating this is ash on the song Daydream. Stream it everywhere. Apple, Spotify. Jana, you're incredible. I can't wait to see how your journey is gonna unfold if your kid at 17, inshallah, inshallah, inshallah. Um, we'll see you uh, something incredibly uh, great, setting a blueprint for women in Egypt and young girls, because I do believe the more we empower women, the more we empower girls, the more our society will be mentally capable of just thriving and not just surviving, because we are surviving and that is not good. We need to thrive, we need to enjoy life, we need to we need to live. Anyways, that's for another topic. That's a topic. What's going on with my lingo today? That's for another day. Thank you for listening and I'll see you next episode. And I'll leave you on this note. In life and in business, empathy and compassion and vulnerability always wins. <laughs>